I met Anthony James, or AJ as he's more commonly referred to, um, at the end of last year when he was in Sydney working on a project with my husband. We instantly bonded over the fact that he has the same name as my dad, Anthony James, not AJ. My dad definitely doesn't go by AJ. And yeah, as soon as we kind of started chatting, he was asking those in-depth life questions and I could see why his podcast, The Regeneration Podcast, is so successful you know he has such a kind of warm and open nature that yeah you just want to chat and have that conversation with him his podcast is all about the ways in which we can regenerate ourselves the planet our systems and he speaks to guests who are both leaders in that space and also people working kind of grassroots ground up um, to make that change i was a little bit nervous um, going into recording this podcast purely because you know this is what AJ does full time for a living but of course because AJ is just yeah he's lovely and open and warm and really actually super supportive about what I'm doing which has been so lovely it was obviously just a great conversation we talked a lot about kind of his journey and the fact that it hasn't been linear and two kind of phrases that really stick out from this conversation are following the cues and kind of strange and unknown ways in which life can unfold and being oblivious to options. AJ uses this phrase when talking about his own life, but I think it's, yeah, it's a really nice phrase, I think, and yeah, lens to look through things when we think about, yeah, our own lives, but also how we approach problems and solutions and things as a collective is not being oblivious to the enormous actually amount of options that we have so i will link to his website and podcast and everything in the show notes and yeah i hope you enjoy and as always get something out of it we often define ourselves by kind of what we do rather than you know, who we are and kind of our ways of being. And often what we do isn't aligned with, you know, our values and our ways of being. But I get the sense from you that that's not the case, that your doing is very much or more kind of aligned with your being and, you know, your value system. So I'm curious if someone asked you today, what do you do? How would you how would you kind of answer that question? That is a great question uh, because I have faltered on it a bit in recent times and partly because if I was to say podcaster, mm. <laughs> I still laugh. I still chuckle. Is that, can that be serious? Um, unless you're just a influencer or well, it's just if it was betraying my language unless you're an influence or that sort of celebrity-ish thing, which doesn't, that doesn't feel true. So I, I was like, am I a podcaster? I don't know if I'm a podcaster because I, I haven't set out to be a podcaster either, right? It's just through circumstance and trying things with that overall ethos that you've nailed, you've described beautifully. That's been the aspiration, but like for decades. So whatever I've done, be it music back in the 90s to living in Central America for a few years after that to, 
teaching in sustainability at uni and other things on the journey and and then trying this um it was all led by certainly a fundamental belief sort of a first principles belief that you just articulated that there should how, how can you possibly live with the distinction between those things like what would be the point um so we could go into greater detail about really really that's why after the band ended that i was in that i took off for central america because i was like i'm so sick i mean i had to fend for our musical lives with other income from just whatever you could get at times um and some funny things on the journey and not all bad like some really interesting things but you know from laboring and landscaping to factories to modeling like a, a crazy incoherent spread of things but to try and keep this the main thing going and by the time that ended i thought i'm so sick of that the cycle of earning spending and not getting to the heart of your values that so i thought i'm going to go where i'm you know, probably quintessentially going to be of some value <laughs> a poor place um but somewhere where i felt this draw and this call uh and then i'm literally going to offer myself up i'm yours if you can give me a room and board and uh, and uh, sorry room and food like basically cover my expenses and and to cut a very long story short that happened the third destination in which was in rural guatemala and it was it was driven with this overarching drive though that you've articulated here how do you collapse that gap which this sort of yeah our culture's sort of created for a lot of people where it's a struggle to get out of it my i, I mean it feels like good fortune in that context um but obviously i've put a lot of years of heart and soul into it to be in a position where i can yeah there is no gap there um but blessedly even today you know you find that that's that that's that comes around because everybody else who wants to gift into you which comes from how much you want to gift into others so that that cycle kicked in tow and i did, i mean i was 30 before i realized it uh coming from a background where i was groomed for business you know that that actually the key was to gift and then everyone looks to gift to you you create a whole thing around you uh, and here i am with a listener supported podcast yes yeah. and so did you when you were kind of in business or studying business did you always feel that something was off or iffy oh, dying yeah, dying right. on the inside you know yeah 100 percent. Oh, oh i got as far as you know doing what i was supposed to do award or two here and there scholarship to university with all the big banks and retailers behind it and a breaking thing at the time you know business systems it was of or organizing the systems of business and and coding them you know sort of the the, the whole kit and uh and yeah they they it'd be the sort of thing where they cut 10 percent of this or 20 percent of the students every year <laughs> type of thing like brutal um and somehow i'd a lot of my early time in this dying soul period was just winging my way through with a with a decent memory to pass exams and stuff but really not much understanding and certainly no passion i, I did it i finished that degree and i reckon i knew i knew about 10 percent of the knowledge that might have been on offer that, that you could go through 21 years of education and and ace it and not and not know much was like what what is that yes or even be that, that interested in it it sounds like well that was obviously 
the problem, the core problem. And so uh, for me, yeah, it was really a process of, I mean, de pretty deep depression at one stage, halfway through that degree. But it, then again, luck, uh, light switched on, finished the degree, um, knew I would then pivot. And so I went and did a, <laughs> a gym instructor course and became a triathlete um, while I started to take music seriously. And, and there began life or my life, if you might say. Um, so yeah, late to the party, but, uh, but made up time, <laughs> made up ground a little bit to that ultimate goal really of just, can you live out your value set? Yeah. Your, your care. Can that be your first port of call every day? First and last port of call every day. And when you were in um Guatemala were you teaching music yeah it's a funny thing because when I left I sold everything it was a one-way ticket I don't see what happens you know I'm just getting out of this and uh and it was a strong call at the time too to go to that that area I didn't know exactly where to end up obviously um the funny thing was because I'd sold everything car kit and everything that meant less than those two things um and then except actually for my treasured seven mil navy diving suit that my mum proceeded to lose half of while i was away so that didn't work either lost that too but when i got to guatemala and and or got to this place and the reason then that it just sinked in from the get-go is partly because they had money from a dutch i think it was a dutch funding agency at the time to set up a music school and no one to do it and so i've rocked up to this place and said i'm yours what can you use me for and they've said well we've got this funding can you set up the music school and i was like what do you know um and so they said yeah can you get like guitars and keys and and um flutes and whatever and can and i said do you want drums too? I'm like, oh, drums. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Cause I was mostly a drummer. I mean, I dabbled in the other stuff. I could teach it, but uh, I was mostly a drummer and, um, they, yeah, definitely la bateria for sure. And so I went and got all of that and put together this school. And then as per everything else that was going on, you'd then proceed to build a culture of interest around it, recruit teachers, have the system take hold. Right. And, and then that became, part of a larger cultural center that I would play increasingly that sort of mediator facilitator role with a library in it that then involved the schools and then involved the villages around the town and, and then, and then went towards a community and radio station that ended up, ended up being an indigenous Mayan woman community radio station. So after I left, I played a little lot of sort of part of the momentum towards that type of role um over the few years and then I felt the call to come home but yeah. and I remember I remember when we met at the end of last year you talking about kind of being in Guatemala and very much being part of that community and and the place that you were um I remember asking oh did you travel much while you were there and you saying no like I actually spent most of my time there coming from Australia and then being kind of quite entrenched in a good way in a community like that was it was it completely different to what you had known kind of growing up in the places 
you'd been before in the, in the sense of what community was or kind of what was that experience like really being a big part of that community? Oh, incredible. I mean, the first thing to say is, I don't know if we got to this detail when we spoke the first time, but that feeling really peaked in my second year there. I was there a further year, but something shifted at the end of the second year. That's when I started to feel home calling. And I was like, what do you know? What's this? Wow. Uh, for really the first time ever as Australia. And it's a funny thing because I'd almost, in fact, I think I had paid zero attention and you know, where I was and internet hadn't really landed there. You know, I was playing a little role in getting some public internet there because a couple of private providers had bobbed up at rates no one could afford except the you know tiny fraction. And and then as the library grew, I helped get monitors and, and internet into that at the time. I mean, it just, it it went at pace after this time. But so I didn't even know, I kept no tabs and in many ways was unable to keep tabs on Australia. Didn't hear of the Bali bombing, for example, until a... Pro- a teacher runs down the street saying, Antonio, Antonio, I've just heard on Discovery Channel or whatever it was that he got on cable. <laughs> he was one of the counsellors too. Um, so just very few people in town had this. So he running down the street telling me about the Bali bombing a month after it or something. Um, so it hadn't, it hadn't been on my radar at all, but then I, then it just started to bubble up on the inside and I started to feel kinship with Shane Warne. You know, so, <laughs> Just, which I've never forgotten because he, he was never my favourite player or or compatriot, but um, but I started to feel that that I was going to say and cliche to say it, but that we're all one as a people. But I think this is what comes when you tap your deepest sensibility, right, and and have space to do that, which of course I had in the absence of all the hubbub of information and internet and whatever. Um, and so I felt these deeper, uh, feelings and insights and, uh, and, and then, yeah, that then though, funnily enough, absolutely clear as crystal changed everything there. Um, cause I started to have an end in mind and, and, and it, yeah, it was never the same after that but before that when i wasn't going anywhere at least not intending to the amount that people invested in me as time went on and trust built was so humbling and beautiful and amazing to feel and no i hadn't felt that before um the band was the closest because it was that that's your classic sort of brotherhood we were all blokes um that we formed and and it was all about each other as much as anything else and and we'd lead the, you know, we were happy to be touring the country and the world. It didn't matter if we made anything similarly, as long as we didn't, you know, we could do it. We found a way to do it. Then awesome. That was a life well lived. And sure enough, we look back on those days as, as priceless and precious. Be- then these two experiences essentially became my benchmark of belonging and of living your, your value set. Yeah. Yes. And as you were telling that story, I two things popped into my mind, like, the first being, I wonder if that feeling, like that feeling of connection back to Australia was almost able to happen because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're feeling more connected to yourself 
you know, because you were teaching music and doing all of these things. Um, so, yeah, you were able to to feel that connection back. And then also I remember um, someone saying once, not when you have a community, say, or you live in kind of a, a, a place where you know everyone and you're reliant on each other, it means that you have to be kind of the best version of yourself or you have to kind of work through problems that you may have with someone or whatever because you can't, you're not just getting up and going or not speaking to the neighbour, you know. So I think that's also quite an interesting perspective, realising that you're actually like a fundamental part of something means that you want to kind of put your best foot forward. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, but in so many ways. I'll never forget when they set me up with a little room down in a disused dorm and and a tab at the local comedy or the local restaurant uh, and, and I got started, you know, on those direct tasks. It became more middleman and stuff later, but um, and arrangements then with that municipality shifted. But um, I'll never forget, yeah, that feeling of, of um, how best to say, when they accepted the premise that I put to them, put me up and we got started and I was in a meeting with about 40 different stakeholders and it was the first setting then that that everyone was going about their work and not addressing me directly and my Spanish wasn't that good much less my Mayan kekchi <laughs> uh, and I was a lost puppy and I came I, I've held my face but then got back to my room and cried thinking, what the hell have I done? And what the hell am I doing? And who am I kidding? And um, So there's that. And then on the other hand, there's, well, being a laughing stock as a minority who couldn't speak the language for, for the next two months, but it fast-tracked it in two months, I could. But that feeling some days you didn't want to go out onto the street and get breakfast because you just can't do it again. And then another side of it coming out of well, it's not civil war, colonial conquest and defense, so-called civil war, you know, CIA orchestrated stuff, quintessential of that period in, in that region to come out of that, having just come out of that. And then I'm lobbing in, I, I learned later, there's one guy in particular sort of emblematic of it, who I learned later was highly suspicious of me, essentially took me for a plant because why else would you do all this for nothing, for example. So to, yeah, I guess to indeed be present and end up, for example, where A, you, you know, it works and these people become friends or at least there's respect and in some cases great friends. And then, and then even that fellow, senior fellow, as I left, we have a chat and he divulges this and says, I was wrong, I, you know, hats off to you. Yeah, to be present through that and come, I mean, is there anything more rewarding than that far out with, with people who didn't have to accept you in any way? Yeah, much less with that colonial backdrop uh, that was, you know, very much alive and kicking. Yeah, so that's that's amazingly beautiful. And, and of course, it sets you up not only for yourself, but, or in yourself, but for others in similar positions. Back here, where I'm the white, you know, resourced enough fellow, I mean, I live below the poverty line, but 
<laughs> you know, I'm obviously not destitute, as as the character in my favourite film, Into the Wild, says. I got a college degree. I'm not destitute. I choose to live like this. So there's that's the difference, right? And to then see and empathise with those who are not you know, first and foremost the first peoples of this country, who, who incredibly, despite the sophistication of their cultures, are still regarded as fringe and treated as fringe. When when you learn how sophisticated and remarkable and needed their knowledge is and their heart is and their spirit is notwithstanding the issues right that can be acute and difficult i've been in places where crime and and violence um, amongst mob let alone across cultures is very freaking difficult on an immediate level so i empathize for that too but but the fact that we know we know they're symptoms of the same beast though so yeah so not the least that but of course then migrants refugees there and just just any marginalized group that you can you've been there and had to do this taught me a hell of a lot it's interesting you brought that up because just earlier dave and i were talking about like our first nations people and i guess some of the issues you face and like you're saying things like crime and addiction things they exist but i think they exist because those groups of people are so far removed from the way that they want to and should be living like connected to the land that of course that stuff happens because they're placed in these environments which do not align to the way that they want to be living no and when things got really dark for me so i'm about 19 right before the light switched on with with complete luck and but perhaps relevant to this too how it happened i was so oblivious to options like it was just dark so all i knew was what was what i didn't like what didn't do anything for me and there was nothing to go to which from the outside for anyone who knew me would have looked ridiculous there was music there was ocean and but i wouldn't even move to the ocean i didn't even know to move back you know if a family had moved away dad unilaterally really had, had moved us away could have and did eventually when I when I had the light switched on. First thing I did was get to the bay. I was in Melbourne at the time playing music and stuff and finishing that degree. So I got to the bay at least. And then it, then I'm going, oh my God, why wasn't I here from the get-go? Like as soon as I got on my own steam, why did I move to Clayton? Uh to be near mine. Get to the coast. But anyway, there I was and that was part of it. And really what switched the lights on though was an accidental journey back home to Perth because dad had moved us away. When I was eight, he, he put a line under it said, we're not moving back. And that, and that killed me. But by 19, it's long forgotten that I should go back to country. You could even say, you know, if I can claim that terminology around this. And, and the fact that even getting to salt water at the bay spoke to me a bit and, and getting back to Perth at 19, um, which wasn't my choice, by the way, it was, offered to me in a very ironic interesting way um and that that turns the light on i come back and after a period though i stayed and fed the soul a bit but then came back finished the degree and then got onto that path but what what i saw though then out of all that was how it can look like why don't you just bloody get your act together from the outside and from the inside you're like if only i could see like i can't 
but you i didn't even know to say i can't see the options you just you're just in the dark and then secondly the fact that what triggered it for me and i know this is true for a lot of first nations folk some of it's been on the podcast you know even with elders who've created who've got the courts to have instead of sending kids to remand they get them down to country and hold the hearings on country and let them play out whatever time is deemed necessary on country these stories where it does for them what it did for me and switch the lights on from which then you can make better you can see choices all of a sudden so yeah a hundred percent that's a massive massive if not the stem factor yes a hundred percent and i guess segues nicely but like so would you if we just look i guess at the state of things generally so huge massive thing one of the biggest things that I see kind of as a barrier is this kind of like siloed way of thinking or, you know, not root cause way of thinking or not looking at things holistically. Obviously you're quite adept at kind of systems thinking in that entire world. What what do you think about it? Like in terms of what systems thinking is and if we had more of that kind of outlook, what would huge question but what would kind of the world look like and what would the solutions be (laughs) you know i'm reminded of kate rayworth when she was my third guest on the podcast just after donut economics came out and i'm reminded that my i mean i think we spoke about some life stuff as well first but then when we got not far in we're getting to the grunt of the book and everything and i said I said pretty much the same question and she said, well, that's the book really. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so big. Of course, it's going to be more in an elaborated thing. But I guess the first thing to say is like, I think my disposition and through all that searching and stuff early days was perhaps towards this. But but the moment of crystallization and a body of knowledge to tap into and develop with came as the band was ending again complete chance i didn't choose this so many of it so much of it is like this right so it's relevant to say i think that um the band was ending but not quite so i wasn't yet taking off to central america and my partner at the time enrolls in a master's in environmental science which just happens to be led by a legend called professor frank fisher who had done this pioneered systems thinking in Australia from the seventies. He was the Australian port of call or one of the key ones connected with all the big international ones, the Batesons and Capras and Maturanas. And, you know, I could go on and, and people like Ivan Illich, even, you know, key intellectuals from the seventies, terrific legacy. And I, I saw this and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Band hadn't quite packed up. This partner of mine not only was going to enro- had enrolled in it, but she managed enrollments at the uni. And in those days, you had to enroll like months out. She put me into the system without going through the process <laughs> the week before as it starts. So I sneak in through the back door, so to speak. And, and he ends up being a, a key friendship and mentor. So, and that was the year 2000. I still feel the urge to go to Guatemala. So I leave after a mere six months, but the the bond, let alone the, the kernel, had been 
formed and um and that remained we ended up teaching together 10 years after that and then he sadly died in 2012 and, and then i became the holder of his legacy in 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 at least material ways and obviously some some broader ways that i share with others but i ha- i have his material and i'm forming a a book around some of that at the moment to do it as much justice as i can but so i managed to yeah lob in again uh to that legacy and then have had two decades plus of pra- practicing it you know in a way since including obviously on the ground in places and um how would i describe i think this is a really important question perhaps what i can say about it in a nutshell is that yes part of what we're talking about in general at this level is changing systems that we live by that we discreetly compartmentalize as you've alluded to economy and agriculture and whatever and so that's one level and that's important in in the podcast i host as you know i say the catch cry if you like is changing the systems and so we're actually regenerating the systems and stories we live by because because the arrogance of thinking that we regenerate the earth itself and life itself that's part of the mechanistic conquer the universe master the universe thing worldview that we're trying we're, we're emerging from a need to emerge from so you can't perpetuate I mean, this is a large part of the practice. When I said the word practice before, this is it. As much in yourself is you, if you're going to maintain instrumentalist control, mechanistic metaphors in your own mind and language, I mean, they're revealed in your language, in your mind, then, then that, I mean, that's part of what keeps us in this pickle, I think, is that we, they're persistent for good reason. They bed down deep into our intellectual and social structures and and we can unwittingly perpetuate in our efforts to change stuff change make because that's an instrumentalist wish to shift the world so i think perhaps the best answer i can give in short terms to your question is that when i say shifting this regenerating the systems and stories we live by to enable regeneration of life on earth so that it does it for itself in each of us and the and the land and oceans etc is that it's between the systems. It's the connection. It's the relate. Well, even connection. I love how Norm Bates and even sort of calls out that language around interconnectedness because that still implies discrete parts you can connect and disconnect and put back and whatever. She says it's more like a soup. The living world is more like a soup. You, you're not going to be interconnecting anything. It's a total blend, right? So um, you to to extract or to disconnect anything is to is t- to render it essentially dead or at best alone like fragmented um so i think that's the key thing about systems thinking really because i see a lot of people talk systems thinking but they're actually talking about the isolated systems that we would put a name to but it's actually the broader body of thought like where it came from and stuff is around the interconnections and the the bits in between and ultimately them the mishmash and how do you live in that complexity uh, which is what complex adaptive systems you know this sort of language which is where the language of emergence comes from that you you, you don't control it you can't you don't even you don't even seek to change or fix the thing that's right in front of your face you look around it what's it emerged from and you you delve and you play and you and you practice in that space with each other and ferment the conditions out of which all sorts of amazing surprises like i mean we've heard in my own life i didn't choose my my 
my fixes weren't to go and be with Frank or to um, be with that partner who would take me to Frank that particular way or to go to Perth at that time. Like how much was life, my, my, my fixes, my choosing in a linear fashion, it just doesn't work that way. Beautifully, it doesn't work that way. But we have to get that or we keep unintentionally worsening That's interesting. everything. Yeah. Yes. It's a really, I never thought about it like that, but it's a really, it's quite a beautiful way of looking at the solutions, but also just a way to kind of live, like a philosophy of living life, right? It's exactly what hit me. It resolves all sorts of dilemmas, like right full circle back to where we started. It it resolves all sorts of dichotomies that don't exist, right? We it's our mental frameworks that create them. They don't exist in reality. So we can, our mind then dissolves what we've created that separates ourselves from the way the world works. And that sense of ultimate sense of belonging, connection to country, whatever you want to say. And then for, so personally it does that. And then of course, by extension, it relieves us of the pressure of fixing stuff. And, and then puts the understanding that nature's at your back, so to speak. It's, the wind is at your back because the way the world works is this way. If you can get in sync with it, then how we met was through your husband, Dave, and we've, we've both, of course, been in different professional settings and had our paths converge on regenerative agriculture to a degree. And that's everything they all tell you too, right, about how they realised land and production works it's just it's the way life works in its naturally regenerative seeking patterns yeah so it changes the goal the goal is to get in flow with that from which it all flows rather than think oh my god we have to fix this or we have to conquer this or we've got to beat this or we've got to get this through or whatever it might be and i think you sort of touched on it before but that need to fix or believing that we can even fix it is just about, yeah, control and almost ego and being above the thing, be it nature, you know, so it's... 100%. But, you know, I use the word practice advisedly, like I'm still practising. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask you, like, I guess, yeah, like how that looks for you in the way that you live your life. I mean, from the kind of your story, I get the sense you sort of just follow those cues or the little like, oh, I, I'm getting a sense I should go here and you kind of follow those little whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but the cues. Yes, that is that is true. And it's so unambiguously understood <laughs> by myself even now because the podcast is this weekly manifestation of it. I, I would never have expected that I would, that it would have gone here. You know, it came from getting out on country to speak to people. That was express starting point and goal to get to know my country and in ways that I had never remotely. Um, but most of the country is out of cities and people out there obviously tending large landscapes and some of them incredibly well. So I was like, okay, got to go learn from these stories and meet the people doing it and understand my country, all, all walks of life out there. And, and not to the exclusion of cities, but obviously including the whole. And, and so that has continued 
listeners have started to support it well started had started to support it and continue to support it so it is so incredibly so a manifestation of that unequivocally now so yes my life is a more a more flowing version of that aspiration having worked at it and held those benchmarks that you know from from time ago that i i just knew this was true from i didn't have to believe it i i had experienced it that that you get in a position where whens and ifs in your life that they just disappear and you're there this is it um but perhaps the best thing i can articulate to perhaps express an answer to your question that you led off with about how i practice it today is that i've recently been in this acute edge locally here at at our base which is the home i was luckily returned to when i was 19 which is the coast in perth scarborough and right now there is well i guess it's a i view it as another manifestation of the incumbent powers and systems doubling down which they're essentially doing everywhere because the solution right the fix to our problems isn't to change if you're of that mind it's to ramp it up we just not going fast enough we're not growing fast enough uh we don't have the tech yet but when we do we'll be right you know all that so we're doubling down the juggernaut is hastening its destruction and it is manifest around perth and around scarborough like you wouldn't believe and when i'm whether i'm talking about road expansions just wiping out life on mass whether i'm talking about what's happening here locally which is manifesting in approvals of 25 story 18 story 17 story skyscraper glass skyscrapers on the on precious fragile sand systems that is our coast right they're not even rocky and staple and and meanwhile i'm watching the coast erode because i live right on the coast right we've lost 10 meters in the last three years and it doesn't even rate a mention in these plans and proposals but they're getting through and it's because the planning system doesn't even plan anymore it literally quite literally in this case but i know it's partly true in sydney too where you're speaking from that the planning frameworks that are actually still in place that do exist here for example are just being ignored we are literally in a developer-led ad hoc who knows what's coming next who even knows what the rules are some developers have cottoned on and gone well i'll just propose this then and how about this 43 stories over here which was the one that didn't get up so far but um that that was back a bit so they'll be emboldened and to, and that that then even that argument that we need a plan <laughs> all the more if we're going to dramatically alter places on an eroding force for sure at this time in systems change era and where everything's you know really screaming at us that the idea that that doesn't even hold water it's good luck trying to find a rep that will even take that on or understand it uh and and that then the planning system just happens with strangers uh unelected unaccountable in this way so i articulate that partly as a way that perhaps will help listeners identify with whatever their local things are or whatever's just reaching them and darkening their hearts a bit that i'm in an acute edge of that i've been presenting to these state agencies just this week 
to try and say something as basic and common sense as can we just make a plan <laughs> you know not even i don't like this can we do something different just can we make a plan and get a vision uh that we can that, that we then know where each other stands on uh so and that has been seriously getting me down <laughs> yeah my place is being destroyed so how do i practice I, I guess it's a way of saying in that my practice when i'm confronted with this right and i'm thinking at the one hand how can i stop this from happening so i present to the state agency i, I write to them i call my counselors you know you do this thing to confront this particular thing right in front of you so it's a linear approach right so it's not to say you don't do that but you'll find your sustenance and ultimately your success in the culture that we develop together that shifts those things in the longer term, which will mean, yes, there are more losses. There will be more losses, but it's not, we won't stop them by resigning ourselves and much more butting our heads against the walls of linear, linear approaches. Like, so you're obviously, you know, living in the real world, seeing things like this happen and destruction and just, you know, decisions being made that aren't necessarily the best for, you know, the people and the planet. But at the same time, <laughs> you're having <laughs> conversations with people <laughs> who are kind of doing the opposite in terms of solutions and all about regeneration. How do you almost reconcile almost the good and the bad in very simplistic terms and also, where does your almost like hope versus pessimism kind of sit? I think that's that's the practice. I think, and all the more in these times, these last couple of weeks, I've I've honed in on because it the former is where, well, is real too, right? It's real, and I still come across stuff like just even when was it a day or two ago? I had a chat with Tanya Massey. So the Massey family, right? Tanya and I have a chat. And that afternoon, they're going to harvest with Black Duck Foods, Bruce Pascoe's mob and Native Foodways. So there's few, and there's someone else, a few indigenous social enterprise outfits, if you want to call them that, are going to the Massey farm to harvest kangaroo grass and other ancient grains for, I guess, the first time in 200 years or something. Mm amazing and you know in a context where bush foods are going off but it's only one percent owned by indigenous people i mean that's that's it and that that's just happening unannounced no media coverage i just happen to be talking around the day let alone the stuff i find out about and put on a podcast like this is happening everywhere like extraordinary top shelf not even just oh that's kind of nice imagine if there was more of that like this is amazing stuff that's seriously game-changing and it's happening all the time everywhere. The fact that I've got friends, like relationships that feed at that level and feed each other at that level now. And, and yes, I have this media portal that shares it. And so it can go to other places that you ordinarily wouldn't like speaking to, I don't know, um, Carol Sanford, you know, that, that, true extraordinary response um 
uh, an international who's worked in regenerative stuff, you know, for decades, uh, well before everyone was saying the word. Um, yeah, which is partly, by the way, why the podcast is has the play on the word to always be reflexive and look back on itself. This is not jargon here, and the, the word is up for critique, but um, the language is it, the language is not it. It's, I love that because yeah, there's you don't want that word to just get hijacked. Well, and- it probably will. In this is the thing, but to understand that and not get lost in the symbols. Don't get lost in the symbols or uh, of of what counts, which includes language, right? I mean, language is beautiful, and, but it's not the thing. It's not. It's not life. It's a represent. We speak in metaphor. That's how we conceptualize and speak, and and that's how we can understand the stories and the ways of thinking we're trying to change. Is that our language will reveal it through its metaphors, and you can go, okay, mm, I'm still look, thinking mechanistically about that. I, I might change. Um, and what language would do that or help do that, but, but not to get lost in the fact that the language is it. So don't never get too attached to sustainability or that's why I spend zero time on debates around is regen ag the term to use or not. I don't care. Can we get over ourselves and just tap into the fact that there is a wave of people who care, who are inspired by what's actually happening and build on that together. And so, yeah, to back, back to your questioning, I think that is, I think it's no wonder that if you just focus on the linear battle, so to speak, I mean, that's what you end up getting into, that that kills your spirit. Uh, well, at least most of us, some are perhaps are the warrior spirits and bless them in that way. Um, but I think most of us are going to want to tap into the vein of life that is exemplified in these people and these ways and these things that then just emerge. Who predicted this? You know, nobody could have. And, and that's the way it will go. And being part of that is, is rich. So then I don't even worry about, again, false dichotomies of hope and not hope and good and bad. And you just get in the flow and you, and you give your best, like, should I bother ringing this counselor today? Or should I actually just do a podcast with you? I, I chose this, by the way. I did show yeah. thanks. Yeah. So as a case in point, like a very mundane choice in a day, it probably is good that I call this council and have this conversation, but actually this is going to be more important, I think. Yeah. And also what you just said about like people and connection and the importance of that, I think that also is relevant to what you were saying about not getting um too fixated on, say, the label of, like, region ag because at the end of the day it's actually if we, say, had a relationship with the people uh, where we were getting our food from, we don't need a label about the food because we can have that conversation. Oh, Ing, if my old mentor was around right now, he's a professor, so, you know, keep this in mind, he'd say HD. Oh, really? Amazing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'll never forget it. It's beautiful. Um he used to hate tick, you know, heart foundation tick boxes and 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 traffic light systems, you know, on, on labeling and stuff. He used to hate it. And I remember contemplating this for a while, trying to really get it, you know. And you know, you, see, you still hear a lot of people saying this will make it easier for people to understand. No, it makes it easier for people not to understand. Mm. Um, and much less not to connect in this way, not to not to actually get to know and feel each other and the land that your food's made on, etc. So 100%. And then not only that, but on offer, 
is great sustenance in not only then the food you eat, but the relationships you have and the land you'll see and feel coming back. And it won't be that far away, right? Because that's part of the thing. It's only 200 k's or maybe less, but in WA, it's only 200 k's up the road. You, you, and, we, you know, there are plans afoot to perhaps get warehouse outlets that bring it closer to the city. But that's, that's again, next level shifts in these systems. But, and, you know, so much of what I'm learning, I think, these days is like this in all domains, is that it doesn't actually come from trying to shift an incumbent system. Yeah, it, it is just go and create. And it's not detached. Like, again, it's not dichotomized. So it's not mutually exclusive. But you go, mm, here the, here's the flow. Uh, oh, and bang, this has appeared as a possibility. Oh, my God. Is this is something that's going on right now, right? So it's like, this is why I was talking to Tanya. I'm like, Tanya's going to need, and she's going to have input on this for sure. And then someone else will get this flank and... Is it going to emerge? I don't know. Maybe something else will emerge. This this is the beautiful stuff that can really feed your soul. And and if you think, if you believe, as I do, and I hear from a lot of people I respect, that getting to know our places is the most important thing, be they utility services or where your water's from, the people there and the land and how it speaks to you and you speak to it all the time. And if that's the most important thing, to, to shift the conditions out of which everything arises, then there you are. So would you say that's a, that's a common sort of thread throughout all of these conversations that you have just generally but also on the podcast, that that's a, a really prominent theme? It's almost number one, except I, you, I bet you could tell me two other key points that I'd say, oh, yeah, that's almost number one too, but it's right up there amongst the key threads, which of course is the stuff that fascinates me. And after 150 episodes or so, the episodes themselves then go into, oh, this thread from that and this thread that's emerged over that era or in that time or from that region, mapping onto this one. Um, and you get to really sense those, you know, so I deliberately won't say interconnections. I'll just say, um, you know, um, synchronicities or, or synergies maybe um or harmonies like if you if you it's sort of broken down like that it's also a very achievable and simple way of doing things who knew that and this is again well there you go another one of the key threads right but it's all part of the one thread ultimately isn't it is that well in the words of a recent podcast guest late last year karen o'brien on quantum social change right this this brilliant professor theorist but, but in, in such a way as to be so accessible in speaking to people about this stuff, that the title of her book was You Matter More Than You Think. It's that you actually, the way you are right now, where you are, you don't need anything else. You don't need to study anything else. You don't need to have a qualification. You don't need any new tech. You don't need to move. You don't need to change job. <laughs> like nothing. You right now matter more than you think because you're in the perfect position to do everything we've been speaking about. And that, if that is it, then bang, there we all are right now. Yeah. And how empowering is that for people? Because you're not waiting on X, Y, Z things. Exactly. Anybody to tell you or do it for you. Oh, this is massive, isn't it? I mean, the, the way that the system goes on, the way that these development agencies persist with, I, I, and I'll say corrupt, not necessarily, although maybe in money changing hands and whatever, but corrupt just in the sense that it's not 
moral and it's not accountable and it's not right. It's not connected to any dem democratic structure. You know? So in those ways, corrupt. The only way they can do it is with people who take the cue from that, that there's nothing they can do or they're locked out. And it, it goes from the fight to the build and they have they're two very different kind of intentions. Totally. I mean, how often do we, it's almost a, a laughing point for most people who remotely sort of think in this way to go, oh, the war on everything, war on, you know, drugs and bloody whatever we don't like. It's a war on, and nature's war on us when a flood happens or whatever. Uh, you know, that, that BS, but those battle metaphors, oh my God, do they persist? Yeah, Ad adversary, but that's the adversarial dichotomized mindset just revealing itself still. So, yeah, that you go from the fight and, and what was the positive metaphor you, you used to the build? So I'd even use, I mean, build, yeah, probably means something to designers and stuff, but I, it goes back to Kate Rayworth in a way. She used the metaphor of gardening and, and um, to go from the, the, uh, the tool, the Newtonian tools uh the engineering metaphors to to the gardening where sure you've got your secateurs and stuff but you're really tending you don't know what's going to happen when you do this or whatever um more that tending life metaphor and building is also more of that um maybe conquer or you know control kind of that's what i worry about i mean i even spoke to paul hooken who's got this great chapter on buildings right and cities in his in regeneration the book and uh, we and I, I had to put to him a couple of things in the book, in the podcast that were like, for example, that we need eight New York cities, like despite all these great advances in building materials and, you know, hemp and oh, even timber again, even bamboo, like amazing stuff. You're really, really, wow. But that we need eight New York cities equivalent a month in globally if we are to shift to accommodate the world in the sorts of structures that we want to. And I, I said, isn't that going to be classic? As more of us are starting to cotton onto, I think, even with the renewable stuff, is, isn't that going to hasten the cliff edge arrival in our efforts to you know, flip everything out? And, and he said, yeah, if you crunch the numbers of where we're going, this is what it would take in the ways that we're doing things. But if you get under that and you go here in Perth, for example, Oh, if I can remember the specifics, I think I mentioned them to him though. At the time I went and looked it up to be sure I was saying the right thing, but it's something like the vast majority of structures house three to five people. Most places have like one to two or maybe three in them and decreasing. So what are we doing? And you know, a lot of these big high rises, there's vacancies coming out of our ears because they're investment vehicles, not living places. They're not homes. So a lot of this, if we really want to get to the heart of the matter, comes down the commoditization of food and housing instead of instead of sustenance and relationships and homes right that ultimately we have to face this down we have to get back to these first principles and and again this is part of what we can do with each other uh, as part of shifting the the systems and stories but in in that context we don't need we don't need the eight new york cities and we no matter what beautiful green material they're made of and the same is true of the renewable energy transition we can't, mustn't, and don't need to simply aim to swap out the energy level we're at right now. It's, it, we waste two-thirds, perhaps more, 
of what we generate right now. And that is a beautiful opportunity to make our renewables that we can generate sustainably match the energy output we actually, that serves us well. That is a healthy, sort of optimal, if you like, level of energy. Yeah, opportunities everywhere.